for those that may not have been here in our study on Wednesday nights. We just recently started a study in the book of Ecclesiastes that we've titled Life. How then should we live? And uh, we've learned a lot already about how we shouldn't live. Um, Solomon gives us a good insight into uh, the mistakes that he's made, and we'll look at a little bit more of that tonight. Uh, in our last message, I, by the way, I appreciate uh, really Eli preaching uh, last Wednesday night. Um, in our absence, we were at the camp. But in the last message, we saw how Solomon chose to deal with what he considered to be the boredom of life. You can go back and read those verses and, and how he describes uh, how so much in life is just one, seems to be one vicious, never-ending circle. It's just on and on and on. And um, so we talked a little bit uh, in the verses preceding where we'll start tonight, uh, how he uh, tried to deal with it. He immersed himself in learning, but found that things didn't change. He then tried to uh, loosen up a little bit, and uh, he indulged himself in laughter, uh, but still he found his life to be empty. He imbibed in liquor, uh, but only found himself haunted by his own words. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. He then invested himself in all kinds of luxuries, and we'll talk about that in a little more detail tonight. But soon he found that things, stuff, could not make up for what he lost through his departure from God. And we're going to see this phrase again tonight. The phrase, under the sun. And remember, when you read that phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes, what it's talking about is living life without God. Uh, you're living the life under the sun without any focus on what lies beyond the sun. And uh, here, here was his conclusion. If you're in chapter 2, look at the... Uh, End of verse 11 there. Here was his conclusion in verse 11. All was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit. And here's the phrase, under the sun. Now we learned that in the Hebrew, uh, the word for vexation refers to a, a grasping after. And of course, the word for spirit speaks of the wind. And so Solomon was saying this, that searching for the meaning of life in anything but God is like grasping. Everybody, everybody grab yourself a handful of wind real quick, all right? Open your hand. Solomon said that's what you have left when you try to live life without God. Solomon found that fulfillment was was not in learning, it wasn't in laughter, it wasn't in liquor, it wasn't in luxury. And then he goes on, and he'll teach us tonight that it's not in labor either. 
It was Hoyt Axton, I believe, years ago, who used to sing, work your fingers to the bone. What do you get? Bony fingers. And Solomon would add to that, and a fistful of nothing. So with the Lord's help, I'm going to preach to you from Ecclesiastes 2 tonight under this title, Bony Fingers and a Fistful of Nothing. Bony Fingers and a Fistful of Nothing. Trying to find satisfaction in labor and the things that, that labor can get you, Solomon says this, it's like grasping after the wind. So in verses 11 and 12, we'll go back and read all of verse 11, and really our text picks up in verse 12, but here's what we learned tonight, that our work does not satisfy us. Our work does not satisfy us. Again, uh, in verse 11, he said, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already done? Listen, fewer men had accomplished more than, than Solomon had. I mean, you name it, it's like Solomon did it. He was a politician, he was a public leader, he was an educator. As we saw in our last message, he was a zoologist of sorts, a biologist, an economist. But yet when he stepped back from all of his labor, viewed it objectively and evaluated it, he was sorely disappointed. What he thought for sure would end his long search for unhappiness as he lived his life under the sun, proved to be no different than any of the other things that he had tried. <clears throat> How many men, and, and really even women, have plunged themselves headlong into their careers, thinking that if they could just reach a, a certain level of success, a certain pay scale, a certain position in the company, if they could just get there, then everything would change. Everything would be good. Listen to me tonight. Fulfillment is not found in doing more things. Fulfillment is found in doing the right things. And what is the right thing? The right thing is this. Put God first. But seek ye first, Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Labor, or, or uh, excuse me, not labor. John chapter 6 and verse 27 says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. So don't worry so much about doing more things. Just make sure you're doing the right things. So our work does not satisfy us. And then here's the second thought tonight in verses 13 through 16. Our work does not separate us. Look at verse 13. 
Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, and certainly that's true. As far as the light excelleth darkness. I mean, who wouldn't rather be smart than foolish? Wise than foolish. The wise man's eyes, verse 14, are in his head. But the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? The answer, as the fool. Our work does not separate us. You see, at the end of life, all of mankind is reduced to the same level. The one event that Solomon is speaking of, and he mentions it for the first time in verse 14, we'll see it again later in our study, that one event that happens to everybody is what? Death. Imagine, if you will, two men. They both work in the same office. As a matter of fact, their cubicles are, are right next to one another. The one man is a, I mean, he's a bona fide workaholic. He's consistently putting in eight-hour work weeks. He's literally working himself to death. He's viewed by everyone in the office as, as a go-getter, as, as someone who's very successful. The best thing that could be said of the other man is that he puts in a career of lazy underachievement. Let's say that both men die on the same day, and they're both laid out in the, the same funeral home. How many strangers do you think would know which man is which? How many folks could, could look at, at the first man and say, well, he was a real go-getter. I bet he was successful. And look at the other one and say, ah, he was a slacker. No, in death, everybody's the same. It's all the same. Harry Ironside, commentator from, from years gone by, wrote this. Death is the great leveler of all men. Whether rich or poor, wise or foolish, powerful or weak, renowned or obscure, no one, no one can rise above it, cheat it, or escape its eventual claim on his life. The truth is, regardless of who we are, regardless of what we've done, regardless of where we've been, when we die, we die. Rich or poor, young or old, famous or inconsequential, when we die, we die. And for all intents and purposes, eventually, we're going to be forgotten. 
Bill who? Most people won't have a clue. Weeks, months, hopefully a year down the line. I mean, your family will remember you, but really nobody else is going to. So our work doesn't satisfy us. Our work doesn't separate us. We're all going to die. And we're all going to be put in a box in a hole in the ground. And we're all going to go back to the dust that we were created from. But then here's the, the other thought tonight. Our work does not succeed us. Here's where we'll spend a little time. Verse 17. Therefore I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. Here it is again. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun. Because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. And this also is vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored therein, shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrow, and his travail grief. Yea, look at this, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. What a statement. Therefore, I hated life. I enjoy life. I like life. Hey, any day above ground beats a day under the ground. Amen? Solomon said, I hate life. Remember who we're talking about. We're talking about the richest man who has ever lived. And go back and read the verses prior to verse 11. He talks about all the things that he built and all the things that he had and all the things that he owned and the extravagance of his life. But here we find him in, in verse 18 or verse 17. And he says, I hate life. Solomon is depressed which is the inevitable ending of a life lived without God. A life built on self heads toward depression and despair. You work, 
and you work and you work. And what do you have when it's all said and done? Here was Solomon's conclusion. Bony fingers and a fistful of wind. I hate life. Who wants to come to the end of their days hating life? Look at verse 23 again. You with me? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. What Solomon's saying here, he's saying this, even while you're alive and you're enjoying the things that you accumulate, those things are still a pain because the more things you have, the more things you have to take care of. The more things you have to worry about. Solomon says that as, that as hard as you work during the day, and if you're living your life under the sun, and you're not living it for anything beyond the sun, and you work all day, and at night you're going you're gonna to lie there and worry as you twist and turn in the stress and trouble that come with all that you've accumulated. Oh, if I could just have more of this, if I could just have more of that, if I could have more of something else. Here's what, here's, here's what Solomon said. Here's what's going to happen. You're not even going to be able to sleep at night. Church, listen, that's why that's why we shouldn't get too envious of people who seem to have everything. The pickup, the trailer, the boat, the four-wheelers, the dune buggy, the motorcycle, the other car and the other car, and the swimming pool and the sauna and the hot tub and whatever else you want to throw in there. That's why we really shouldn't get too envious of those people because at the end of the day <laughs> they got to pay for all that stuff and we look and what we see man they're just living large they're enjoying life it's all good if we could just be a fly on the wall at the end of the month if we could just be a fly on the wall in the middle of the night they're laying there staring at the ceiling and then they're staring this way and then they're staring this way and then they're face down with a pillow over their head how am I going to pay for this stuff what have I done and if we could just if we could just get a glimpse into their credit card history all 17 of them it'd be pretty telling I don't know that for a fact, but I'm going by what Solomon said. More things just means more pain. More trouble. So, the psalmist said that, that we should not envy the wicked in their prosperity. 
And I don't wish this on anybody. But in that passage, I believe it's Psalm 73 or something, here's what he says. Then it finally dawned on me that they're going to die. I forget how he phrased, but here's what he, here's what he meant. And they're not going to heaven. And so I'm envying all these things that they have, and I'm forgetting the greatest gift that I have, and that's eternal life. I mean, like it or not, we can build what we want and save what we might. We can put it in the bank. We can liquefy it into stocks and bonds. We can drop it into real estate, or we can put it in a green bean can in the backyard. But we can only control our wealth for a season. And then it's, listen, it's out of our hands completely. Whenever a person draws their last breath, they have no choice but to relinquish their grip on everything that they have labored to build under the sun. You tracking with me? Now, I don't, I don't think Solomon is, is telling us here um, that we shouldn't lay, that we shouldn't lay anything up in stores. As a matter of fact, he teaches us in the book of Proverbs. He he talks about the ant and how the, the ant lies lays up food for the winter because he's going to be living underground all winter. And so he lays up food and he prepares for the future. Solomon is not talking about that. He, and I don't want to make it sound like he, we shouldn't have a savings account, we shouldn't have a retirement, we, we shouldn't be saving up for the future. None of that. I'm not suggesting that, uh, that we shouldn't leave, uh, prepare to leave anything for our children or for our grandchildren or, or to not deny them any kind of inheritance. As a matter of fact, I know that's not what Solomon is saying because in Proverbs 13, 22, he says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. I think the point that he's making is that wealth accumulated through our hard labor does not produce anything that endures through time and eternity. Come on, you know this as well as I do. You can't take it with you. Yeah, but I'll bury it with me. Yeah, and it'll stay buried. And some knucklehead, if he finds out, he's going to come dig it up. Accumulating mountains of money through years and years of hard work. Listen to me. It becomes meaningless two seconds after you die. And here's why. Number one, because you can't keep it. Look back at uh, verse 18, a Jew, an old Jewish proverb states that there are no pockets and shrouds. Look at verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, and here's why. Because I should leave it unto the man that shall come after me. Psalms, I can't take it with me. 
I'm going to have to leave it. I want you to listen to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. You can follow along. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Listen, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, there are some people you know and I know who don't have a clue about that, and they, they don't want us to tell them because they think life is about stuff. But Jesus said, listen, buddy, your life is not about what you have. And then he, he shared this parable with them. He said, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, hmm, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my third car. Bestow my fruits. And he said, ah, I got it. So this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. I'll tear down this three-car garage and I'll build a four-car garage. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, <clears throat> Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Read this with me. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou shrewd businessman. Is that what he said? What did he say? Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? This is the point is we can't protect it. That's, that's why it's meaningless. Two seconds, the moment we draw our last breath and our soul is whisked away to glory, all of that stuff is, is, is useless. He said, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, first, you can't take it with you. And then here's the second point that Solomon makes. Uh, right, that's why you can't take it with you. Here's the second point that Solomon makes. You can't protect it. You got those twists. I apologize for that. Verse 19, you can't protect it. Look at it. Still with me? All right. And who knoweth, talking about the, uh, whether he, talking about the, the person you're going to leave all this stuff to or the people you're going to leave all this stuff to, who knoweth whether they shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Who's to say, answer me this tonight, who's to say that our children 
are not just going to go out and waste everything that we leave them. You know that's not unheard of. Amen? That's not unheard of. We have no guarantee. Yeah, yeah, but in my will I said this. A week later, they're going to be doing what they want to do. There's no guarantee. And if you want to read this when you get home, I'd encourage you to. 1 Kings chapter 12. We see that very thing played out in the life of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who did exactly that during his life. Everything that Solomon worked for during his lifetime, he left and Rehoboam blew it. Read about it. Now, since we're talking about, this isn't in the text, but since we're talking about leaving things behind, and I've encouraged you to do this in the past, it's been a long time, I would encourage you to at least consider this tonight, at least consider remembering the Lord's work when you die. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, I'm going to leave this to my son, this to my daughter, this to my grandkids. Can I just encourage you to give some thought to remember the Lord's work after you die? We got three men in our church who advise people financially for a living. And they could, they could, they could advise you how to best do that. It's done all the time, by the way. It, this isn't some far out thought your preacher's coming up with it's done all the time i've told you this before and it, it's still true that that in our will and i understand my kids can do what they want to do um but chances are one of them's going to be pastoring the church that i'm he's supposed to take care of i mean 10 percent of, ev of everything that we have is supposed to go to fellowship baptist church and if they end up selling my gold wing, 10% of that goes to Fellowship Baptist Church. And if they sell whatever we have, bedroom suit, whatever, they sell it, 10% of it goes to Fellowship Baptist Church. You know why? Because in life, this church has invested more in me and in my children than we could ever pay back in a million lifetimes and the least that that Katie and I could do was do something for the church when we die that's just the way I feel about it and I understand you don't have to do that I'm not saying you have to I'm just asking you to to consider it just give it some thought we okay all right because we can't keep it or protect it, then that which we have labored so hard, we can't keep or protect that which we have labored so hard to obtain, then it's best to seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God and to set our affection, the book of Colossians, set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Because we can't keep or protect that which we have labored so hard to obtain, it's best to lay up treasures in heaven. Not on earth. 
Because we can't keep or protect that which we've labored so hard to obtain, it's best to remember that godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can take carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. For the love of money is the root. Now get this, money is not the root of all evil. It's not. The love of money is the root of all evil. Which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So what's the answer? Let's hasten to a close tonight. What's the answer? Look at the last three verses in this chapter. There's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who else can hasten thereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give it to him that is, uh, that is good before God. This also is vanity, vexation of spirit. This is the first of six conclusions that Solomon comes to in the book of Ecclesiastes. And here's his conclusion. We need to thank God for what we have and enjoy it for his glory. Thank God for what we have and enjoy it for his glory. And Paul echoes that in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. We would have read this had I kept reading in the book of 1 Timothy 6 that the living God, he talks about the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Not only are our blessings from God, but even the enjoyment of those blessings is God's gift to us according to verse 24. We'll actually see this later in chapter 6. But Solomon says this, he considers it evil if a person had all the blessings of life from God but didn't enjoy them. Are you with me? He said it's not a good thing that God blesses us with these things and then we don't enjoy them. And it may sound like I'm contradicting myself tonight, but I'm really not. At the end of the day, what's important is that we please the Lord and trust Him to meet our needs. God wants to give us wisdom, he wants to give us knowledge, wants to give us joy. Why is that in there? Because those are the things that enable us to appreciate his blessings and to take pleasure in them. You see, it's not enough to possess things. We must also possess the kind of character that enables us to use those things wisely and to enjoy them properly. Now, what is true of us as believers is not true, according to Solomon, is not true for the unbeliever. He may heap up all kinds of riches, but he can never truly enjoy them because he's left God out of his life. And I know what it looks like. On the outside, as I said, it looks like they're living large and loving life and everything's great. But according to Solomon, anybody who lives that way, if they're pretending that it's great, it's not. In fact, his riches may, may finally end up going to the righteous. 
Now, I don't know how all that works, but I know that, that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 13, 22, the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And again, I don't know how all that works. I know this, that when the Israelites, and you can read this in Exodus 3 and Exodus 22 when you get home, when the Israelites left Egypt, the Bible says that they spoiled the Egyptians. They left with their gold and their silver and all of their valuables. Much of the wealth that went into the temple came from David's military exploits. It is vanity and vexation of spirit. That it is, it is a meaningless chasing after wind for the sinner to gather great riches and yet ignore God. Apart from God, there can be no true enjoyment of blessings or enrichment of life. Warren Wiersbe said this, It is good to have the things that money can buy, provided you don't lose the things that money can't buy. And from all places, this comes from the Wall Street Journal. Money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider for everything except happiness. That was written in a worldly magazine. The answer is to enjoy what God gives you. Get this tonight. Enjoy what God gives you but understand that it's only temporary. Don't hold on to anything too tightly. Nothing in this life, and I mean nothing, can compare to what is reserved for us in the life to come. Had Solomon not written these last verses, verse 24, 25, 26, we could have easily gone away from this chapter with a very wrong, listen, a very wrong impression of God we could have easily come to the conclusion that God is peering through the clouds trying to catch someone who's having fun and stop them you're not supposed to have any fun you're not supposed to enjoy life listen God is the joy giver let me read it again, 1 Timothy 6, 17, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Years ago, somebody was trying to teach around here that we shouldn't be eating pork. That didn't last long. Bacon! God gives us all things richly to enjoy. You have a nice car, enjoy it. You have a motorcycle, enjoy it. You have a second motorcycle, enjoy it. You have a third motorcycle, you need to get right with God. But you understand what I'm saying tonight? So I preach, I got a pretty good nest egg later. Great! Great! There's nothing wrong with being industrious and being wise. Enjoy it. But understand this, it's from God. It's from God. Use it wisely. Enjoy it. 
to give him the glory. Our homes, our families, our work, all of these are gifts from God. And let's close with this. The key is to enjoy these things in light of eternity. Because one day, we're going to be pushing up daisies. And then all the things that we accumulated is going to fall into somebody else's hands. We can only hope they use it wisely, but there's no guarantee. So that's why I like that bumper sticker. We are spending our children's inheritance. Because you just can't trust the little rascals. That's not true. Love you tonight. I hope you've been helped. Uh, Listen, this is coming from a man named Solomon who's lived it. And he comes to the end of his life. And he's looking back on his life. He's saying, listen, I'm going to teach you some life lessons. Please listen. Please heed. I've been there. I've done that. And as adults, you know, we we get on to kids. We say, listen, son, you haven't been. I've been where you're at, but you've never been where I'm at. Okay, listen, Solomon's been where, where we are. We've never been where Solomon is. So let's take Solomon's advice. Amen?